Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Shame on you for not watching this unbelievable World Series. The twists and turns will not stop. It's a hump day home and home. We are brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Check out ZipRecruiter for free, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter home and home on a hump day. We are radio.com sports original. A lot to get to today. Big news out of the NCAA or was it? Was it a baby step or was it Mark Emmert being very careful with his words? We'll talk to Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports about all that. Also in the eight o'clock hour, your quarterback grades, your edge rusher grades, and who's the top pick in college football it's not who you think according to our friends at pro football focus sam monson joins us and the 10 o'clock hour will kick things off with former patriots super bowl tight end not that one another one martellus bennett who was a pro bowler with the chicago bears played 10 years in the nfl and is easily one of the most entertaining athletes you've ever heard he has a colorful way of describing just about everything. So a busy show. I'm Dave Briggs, home in Connecticut. Ross Tucker, home in Pennsylvania before he hits the road for Colorado in what should be a great game between Army and Air Force. And we start with this World Series, Ross. It was unbelievable. It's the first time in the history of the World Series the NBA Finals, or the NHL Finals, that the road team has won all six games, leading to a Game 7 tonight in Houston. Max Scherzer gets the shot in his neck, and he is able to pitch. We're not sure how long, but the twists and turns have been amazing. And Ross, did you see it? Did you get into the umpiring controversy that I'm about to describe and are you with me? America needs to get on board. They've got one last shot. It's been an incredibly entertaining fall classic. Well, I'm certainly with you that America needs to get on board tonight. I mean, game seven, I got to be honest with you, I don't care what sport it is. Game seven, I'm all in. You know, when, when it's live or die, which, by the way, is part of the reason I think why football is so popular, whether it's college football or the NFL, any postseason game is uh, the be-all, end-all when it comes to the NFL postseason or the college football playoff or almost, almost even the college football regular season, but not quite. So game seven, I'm all in. It's not quite a hockey game seven, a Stanley Cup final game seven, but it's close. I am very fired up for tonight's game. It's interesting. Yes. Last night, and I'll just say, I, I, I fell asleep, I think, fifth inning, sixth inning, Dave. And then obviously caught up this morning and watched the controversy and watched the highlights and Rendon's, you know, the home run and everything that happened at first base and all that stuff. 
But I really thought when I went to bed, interestingly enough, I really thought we were going to have a different narrative today. I thought, it, you know, after the Bregman home run, which he just crushed, it was interesting to hear Strasburg talk afterwards about tipping pitches because Bregman teed off on that one like he knew it was coming. Which movie is it where the guy goes, man, he teed off on that one like he knew it was coming? Yeah, he did. I, I told him. <laughs> That's what I, it was. That, that was that Bull Durham or Major League? I'm not sure which that was. Bull Durham. But yeah, that is an, Bull Durham. Bull Durham. Bull Durham, because it was Costner who who the uh, Nuke Lelouch kept like waving him off, so he finally told the guy, and then <laughs> said, "You listen to me. That was amazing." But that's how hard Bregman hit it. Like he was yeah. like, it was almost like he was smiling before he hit it. After he crushed that, and I still don't know really why he took the bat with him all the way to first base. Had the off the awkward baton handoff to the first base coach, who didn't really know what the hell was going on either. I kind of thought the narrative, and I don't—I wasn't rooting for this, Dave, but I don't like when someone like Verlander, who seems like a pretty awesome guy to me, he—he he looks awesome. He married Kate Upton. He's got to have some awesome qualities. I—I kind of wanted him to get rid of that World Series can't pitch in the World Series narrative, that whole deal. So I kind of—I—I I don't want to say I was rooting for him, but I—I I was going to be happy if the Astros won for Verlander that he kind of got that monkey off his back and that, you know, he had pitched well. And by the way, he didn't pitch that bad. I mean, what, he gave up three runs in five innings. It's not like he was terrible at all. But, you know, after Strasburg shut everything down and went almost the full nine, it just kind of paled in comparison yep. what Verlander did. Yeah, Ver Verlander was the reason I would have been okay with them winning. I've made no secret I would like the Washington Nationals to win this series, rooting for the city, rooting for the fans, and Houston just had their series. But Justin Verlander, folks, an all-time great, a Hall of Famer, no question about it, the only pitcher in Major League Baseball history to go winless in seven World Series starts, 0-6, a 5.58 ERA. That is hard to comprehend. And Steven Strasburg is the complete opposite right now. He is putting up legendary numbers, the only pitcher to go 5-0 and in a single postseason. And he's been historic in his entire postseason career, which hasn't been all that long. But the guy has been untouchable. You touched on the fire that really started this game. Alex Bregman crushes a home run carries the bat to first base, and that was a big mistake because it clearly lit up the Washington Nationals, gave them the motivation they needed. Ultimately, it may not have factored into the game, but you don't want to fire up an opposing team, and they did, and who took advantage of it? Who else? Juan Soto hit a ball as far as I can remember seeing, just as he did earlier in this series off the train tracks, this one into right, well over 400 feet. And Soto carried the bat to first base, emulating what Bregman did. He actually said, I thought it was pretty cool what Bregman did. Uh, I wanted to do it too. So he was really just emulating him. I think, look, let's enjoy the fire of young baseball players, whether it's Alex Bregman or Juan Soto. But that's when things got in really, really interesting. Because you go to the seventh and it looked like baseball would have the biggest controversy on its hands I'm going to tell you in the history 
of the game. It could have been the biggest black eye in the history of the sport in 115 years, rivaling the steroid scandal, the Black Sox scandal, because it would have been a debacle. Kind of reminds me of what we're seeing in the NFL. The NFL, the worst rule in the game is when you're going in to score a touchdown, you fumble out the corner of the end zone, it ends up going touchback the other way. So baseball basically said, yeah, hold my beer. We've got a rule even worse than that because it happened in the seventh. Yuri Gurriel reaching out for the throw from Brad Peacock Trey Turner runs into the glove because the throw was off and the runner, Trey Turner, is called out. If he was safe, well, you'd have runners on second and third base with no outs and could have dramatically changed this game. They go to review. Under review, well, you have to back up the umpire in this situation. The rule does not allow a base runner to run inside of the base path and interfere with the throw, even if it was a bad throw. So, was the right call made? Yes. Is this the wrong rule? Is this an awful rule? Yes. Horrible rule. Major League Baseball has got to fix this the same way the NFL has to fix that stupid fumble rule out the corner of the end zone. But... Major League Baseball's off the hook, of course, because the Nats just lit it up. Anthony Rendon blew up. Two-run double in the ninth. He had five RBI on the game. His bat finally woke up, and the Nationals won this game 7-2 to to force tonight's Game 7. So there's a lot to get to when it comes to uh, the decision-making. Let's hear from Joe Torre, who was there at the game and explained what happened, why the right decision in his mind was made. The rule, let me read the rule. Uh, uh, in running the last half of the distance from home base to first base, while a ball is being fielded to first base, he runs outside to the right of the three-foot line or inside to the left of the foul line. And in the umpire's judgment, in doing so, interferes with the fielder taking the throw at first base, <coughs> in which case the ball is dead. If you notice, uh, he was running inside the line toward, toward fair territory, toward the, toward the grass, and he was coming from that angle. If he had been running in the 45-foot line, he would have been coming from a different angle, and the first baseman may have had an, an easier chance catching the ball. But it, as you know, as you saw, the, the glove came off Gurriel's hand, and he wasn't you know, doing anything but trying to catch the ball. And, and you know, my, my view, if he catches the ball, you know, uh, Turner, he's fast, but he hadn't quite, he hadn't gotten to first base yet. So Major League Baseball's rule allows an umpire to make that call. It's a judgment call. I would have thought under review the judgment would have been clearly Trey Turner was not intending to interfere with the glove, but by the book, again, by a bad book, Technically, the correct call was made. Major League Baseball, much like the NFL, has to hate that here we are in the midst of a legendary twist and turns type series are talking about the officiating, are talking about the referees, the umpires, whatever it is. It is not good for any sport when we are here talking about the referees. And boy, did they get bailed out. Do you hate that rule similar to the Derek, uh, David, Derek, Derek and David Carr rule where you fumble out of the corner of the end zone? Are you okay with this one? 
No, this is ridiculous. Uh, th this was just stupid watching it, the replay. I mean, those guys don't run outside of the line a lot of times. You watch them, unless they know, like, it's an extra base hit and they're rounding first. When they're digging for first base, those guys are not running to the right of the first baseline. I mean, there's plenty of video from the game of showing Altuve and others running inside the white line, inside the first baseline. To me, I understand why the rule's in place, Dave. It's probably a good rule because theoretically, you know, you could just lay down a bunt um, to the to the third baseline a little bit or even to the first baseline and then just run wide and kind of try to interfere with the whoever it is, usually the catcher, maybe the pitcher throwing the ball to the first base. I get that. Yeah. This was a bad throw. I mean, this was a bad throw. I don't think the guy was going to catch it anyway. I don't think Turner did anything wrong. But fortunately, guess what? Ball don't lie. And Rendon hits the home run. The Nationals win anyway, which, by the way, is the best news by far for Major League Baseball because this would be ridiculous. I was thinking about this this morning, Dave. You know what we should do? And no. I, I don't think it'll ever get there. I feel like during situations like this in sporting events, there should be a live Twitter poll, okay? And everybody has to say, should that dude be out or safe? And if like over 75% of the people are like, no, that's fine, safe, then he's safe. If over 75% of people say he's out, then he's out. If it's less than that, well, then maybe we let the officials actually decide or the referees or the umpires or Joe Torrey or whoever. But I feel like if everybody watching can sit there and be like, that guy should not be out, that's ridiculous, then he shouldn't be out. It's ridiculous. That's my, that's my just billion-dollar idea right there. There you go. Well, uh, a, tw maybe. a live Twitter poll for situations like this so that what everybody thinks it should be, it is. Because he should not have been out. Thank goodness, if you're baseball, Rendon hit that home run then. Can you imagine? I, I mean, this would be a lot like the New Orleans Saints. The New Orleans Saints call, which, of course, the no call on the pass interference cost the Saints a trip to the Super Bowl. It might be worse because it would cost a team a World Series win. It, it is certainly right there in terms of how big a disaster it would have been. Perhaps a Twitter poll on that, which could have been worse, the Saints no call that robbed them of a trip to the Super Bowl, or if this have gone the other way and had the Astros gone on to win the game, it would have been devastating for an organization, for a city, and for really the entire game. Perhaps Ross Tucker should be the minister of common sense of football and baseball. Now, I don't know if you have that kind of time on your hands, but if they throw on maybe an extra couple of million, you could just oversee all controversial calls in football and baseball. You're not a baseball guy, but you're picking it up pretty damn quick. I like your analysis on that call and on the issue that they avoided there. So it's game seven. It's Max Scherzer cortisone shot to stop these uh, spasms that he was having uh, against Zach Granke, who's not been great this postseason. 
given that every team in this series has won a road game, no home wins, is all the pressure now on the side of the Houston Astros? I got to feel like the Nats come to this game feeling like they have zero pressure at all. Um, before we get to it, let, let's hear the manager, uh, Dave Martinez, first manager tossed in a World Series game since 1996. Uh, he weighed in, as well as Trey Turner, on what went down. I know the rules. I know you can't protest a judgment call. I, I wanted them to go look at, just look at the play. Just, you know, and, 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 and uh, like a rule check. You know, we were told before the series started that we can ask for a rule check. Um, but part, part of me just said, hey, we'll, we'll protest the game. Uh, I don't know how I'm, I'm supposed to do anything other than what I did. I felt like I ran a straight line, didn't veer out, and, um, you know, got called out. And, um, you know, I'm glad that uh, Tony put, picked us up real quick and, and put those two runs on the board. Okay, the image, for those of you watching right now on the Radio.com app and not just listening, you can see enough that Trey Turner, okay, technically was he inside the line, but when he steps on that bag, he's virtually at the same spot as any runner ought to be, as we're used to a runner running full speed, not thinking for a second about, I need to run inside this line and try to knock the ball out of a glove of Yuri Gurriel. Now, if you want to fix it, either get rid of that rule or you know, be like a beer league softball game, or I think the ladies have it as well, where you add in that extra base inside the base paths. I know it looked cheesy, but either get rid of that rule or give me an extra base inside the baseline to give the runner some place to be, Ross. Yeah, I mean, the guy laid down a bun. He's trying to get the first base as fast as he can. I mean, what do you want him to do? Like, oh, turn right. And then make a left. I mean, he's trying to get to the 90 feet as fast as he can. And I think you said it exactly right. For those of you who are just listening, we just showed a, a screenshot on on the screen for people that are just listening and they don't go and, and watch us at radio.com slash home or on the radio.com app. And, I mean, his left foot, is not even midway through the the uh, first base. I mean, maybe, but he's almost right in the middle. His right foot's on the other side of it. I don't. I, to me, it's a bad throw, and I don't think a bad throw should be rewarded. I think it's hilarious that Davey Martinez got ejected. I mean, even after they scored the runs, he was still fired up still went out there and went crazy and got ejected. It's kind of comical. It's like way after the fact at that point. And you just don't see stuff like that. You don't see fights that often Stanley Cup final. You don't see managers getting ejected in the World Series either. And this is going to be awesome tonight. I mean, you, you got to try what you can do to stay up. I know it is hard. I know it is late at night. It'll probably be 1130 or 12 because you're going to exhaust your entire pitching staff. It's not likely either guy goes that deep into this game. It's going to be probably a four-hour game. So it's a no-sleep Wednesday. Who you got tonight? I'm taking the Nets. I'm taking Scherzer. I'm a little bit nervous about his health status, but... I mean, Dave, six road wins in a row, which is crazy. I can't imagine that happening in any other sport. But six road victories in a row, I'll go with that trend to continue. Give me the Nats 
Give me Scherzer. And by the way, Strasburg was unbelievable. I mean, against that, against that lineup, to go into the ninth inning, I wanted him to finish the game and close it out. But against that lineup, after he gave up the two runs, to just be awesome after that. Uh, and the whole thing about him, like, finding out from the pitching coach that he was tipping his pitches a little bit. I mean, that is some of the cool stuff about baseball that I that I find interesting. Is like the pitching coach is like, dude, you're tipping your pitches. And no wonder he gave up, you know, the bomb to Bregman. Yeah, that was a real save. Probably the most important uh, catch in this game because Bregman certainly knew that pitch was coming. Steven Strasburger performance for the ages. I, too, have the Nats. I think Scherzer delivers for them. He loves this spot, loves the moment. And Granke hasn't been that good. Is there any other sport that you could ever see home field advantage withering away so quickly on the biggest stage? I mean, I... The NBA may be close. Hockey, it's a big deal. Football, we all acknowledge you could never have a Super Bowl uh, on a home field. Always has to be a neutral site. Is baseball now the shining example where home field advantage doesn't mean quite so much? Yeah, I guess my, my gut would tell me for the professional sports to rank it, baseball, it's least important. Football, most important. I'd say in between... Yep. I, I think you're right. Hockey is more important than it is in basketball. Although you would think that that wouldn't be the case, right? Because basketball, yeah. the little familiarity, I guess, with the court and the background the for when shooting yeah. and rims and all that stuff. So I guess intuitively you would think it would be basketball. I don't know. Um, maybe the millennials can get on that. And we can find out exactly what it is. Well, there is ice condition certainly comes into play uh, in the NHL. I mean, I've been to arenas where it's it's a soupy feeling. Like, you know, when you go to play at Tampa Bay, for example, it's a very different ice quality than you have in Chicago because of the natural humidity that's going to get into the arena. So perhaps that's what it is. Love to hear from some people uh, that could break that down. I'm going to tell you about the dream job put on display last night at game six my favorite part of the world series i've made no mystery about that uh, i'll tell you about an american hero at game six in just a sec he is not a hero stop saying that <laughs> i know who you're going to talk about he's not a hero a hero is cafe altura coo dylan miskowitz because he needed a director of coffee for his organic coffee company, but he was having trouble finding qualified applicants. So he switched to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter said he was impressed by how quickly he had great candidates apply. He also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones. That's how Dylan found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. 
Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ziprecruiter.com slash enter. That's ziprecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So one of the millennials, Jake, did come up with a stat for you, Ross. Soccer has the best home field advantage of any mainstream sport. Yeah, I can't see how different the pitch condition would be for soccer players, but I'm shocked to hear the home team wins 49% of the time, and that's the best home field advantage of any mainstream sport. Millennials get on it. What is the winning percentage of the home team in the NFL? I would certainly have thought uh, it was higher than 49%. Maybe not this year. This year seems like it's a bit off in that case, but I sure would have thought it was higher. Uh, between the big four in America, NBA has the biggest 538. Oh, okay, 538 to the piece on an NBA has the biggest in terms of NBA, NHL, MLB, NFL. All right, interesting stuff. We're going to have to talk more about that with some with some former players of the four sports, but I got to tell you about real American hero Jeff Adams, who was at game six of the World Series last night in Houston, even though he's from D.C., talking, of course, about two-fisted, Jeff Adams, who Bud Light sent to game six, wearing his own now custom-made Bud Light t-shirt that says, always save the beers. There's that shirt for those of you watching on the radio.com app. Terrific shirt. And Jeff Adams was treated like a superstar celebrity last night. For those of you that can check out Twitter and Google him, he was all over the stadium. Everyone stopping him to get a selfie with Jeff Adams. I just love the fan stories as his 15 minutes of fame continues uh, in the World Series. And there was also a Bud Light ad aired during Game 6. For those of you that didn't see it, didn't have any uh, words to it. It had copy on the screen, but just a tribute to the play where he took the home run ball off the chest, angled down like a Little League catcher, picked up the ball, and saved his two beers. Are you already tired of Jeff Adams? Oh, yeah, I have been. I have been. <laughs> uh, look, we are, we are celebrating a man who has no taste. We are celebrating a man and a company that decides intentionally to not allow people to have flavor in their liquids. I have a problem with that. I can get, I mean, would you be giving him the same amount of credit if he had Dasani or Aquafina in each hand? No. No, it's all exactly. about the beer. A a exactly. Which is why I don't give him credit. The way you feel about Aquafina and Dasani, that's how I feel about Jeff Adams. Is it <sighs> funny that he took the ball in the chest? Yeah. Um, is it good that he still got the ball? Yeah. It would have been a lot better if he had real beers in his hands. Yes, I'm a beer snob. Uh, I tell you what, we are definitely going to have to write off Bud Light as a sponsor here of Home and Home. I think he's a real American hero. I want to meet him. I want to be him. I want double-fisted beers. 
during every home and home. We're going to take a quick break here <laughs> still to come on the program. We'll get into the NCAA changes. Are they opening the door for players to get compensated for name, image, and or likeness? Or are they trying to slow walk this thing? I think the language was very interesting. But up next, Pro Football Focus joins us. Sam Monson here to talk about the top rated quarterbacks in the NFL. I want to ask about the lowest rated quarterbacks and why the Chicago Bears did not make a quarterback trade. Plus, maybe we can get into some college football, who the top rated player there is as well. Stick with us. The NFL trade deadline was yesterday at four o'clock Eastern time. You may not have noticed because virtually nothing happened. It was a snooze fest. I got a question for several organizations why they did not make moves. Let's welcome in Sam Monson, Pro Football Focus. Sam, good to see you. Dave Briggs and Ross Tucker, I have to ask you about the Chicago Bears. When you have the 33rd graded quarterback, according to Pro Football Focus, Mitch Trubisky, how do you not make a move for a quarterback with that defense? What's made him so bad? Yeah, I think it's a good question. Um, and particularly in the same week that the Bengals you know, benched Andy Dalton. They decided, yes. let's see what we have in Ryan Finley. Andy Dalton is on a pretty team-friendly contract, has already had a career where he has proven that in the right situation, you know, he can be a good player. We've seen that back in 2015 when his supporting cast was the best it's ever been in Cincinnati. I think Andy Dalton looked like a top 10 quarterback there. Chicago is still a quarterback-friendly environment. I think it would have been perfect for him. You know, at the very least, let's hope that Chicago was on the phone and finding out what it would have take to make that happen. Now, maybe they didn't have the ammunition to do it because this is a team that's traded away a lot of their draft picks for the situation that they currently have. But, you know, they, they should have definitely been inquiring um, you know, as for why it's gone so wrong in Chicago, it's hard to say because that system is good. The supporting cast now is good, but Trubisky is, look, he was never as good as I think a lot of people were, were saying he was. The statistics in that system always flattered him. His PFF grade was never strong, but even, you know, we were some of his biggest detractors during his time in the NFL. And even for us, he's taken a massive step backwards and, you know, is looking to be heading in the wrong direction the whole way. So, Sam, you kind of touched on this um, in that question, but I, I want you to go a little bit further about Andy Dalton, what you think he is at this stage of his career, where he is sort of in the quarterback hierarchy and where he could be in terms of elsewhere in the NFL next season. I mean, I think he is a classic sort of mid-tier quarterback. You know, everybody is looking for the next Patrick Mahomes, the next Aaron Rodgers, the next superstar that can do it all, that can elevate the players around him and make everybody else better. Most people aren't going to find him. You know, then there's a group of guys who, if you surround him with the right cast, if you make the situation around him excellent, he can be a good player. He can win you what you need. He can win you games, and he can probably win you a championship if the everything else around him is, is really good. And I think there's a group of those guys, and Andy Dalton is definitely one of them. And typically, the Bengals haven't been able to surround him with that supporting cast. For most of his time there, 
They've had a good offensive line, but they've only really had A.J. Green in terms of receiving threats. And if you go back to 2015, that's when they had not just A.J. Green, but they had other weapons. They had secondary threats at receiver. They had a healthy Tyler Eifert before all the injuries started to take their toll. You know, that was the best receiving supporting cast he'd had, plus that offensive line. And it was consequently the best season we've ever seen from Andy Dalton. So, you know, I think if you have a team that you think can win a Super Bowl, Andy Dalton is a quarterback that can steer that ship and, and sort of take you that far. If you don't have a team that's capable of winning a Super Bowl independent of the quarterback, then Dalton is not going to elevate the level of everybody else to that point. So, you know, I think teams like Chicago make a ton of, of, of sense. And any team that thinks they're, you know, a quarterback away from making a championship run should be looking at a guy like him. But ultimately, I think the, the quarterback situation around the league has improved in recent years so that those players are now, they're firmly in the sort of bridge quarterback um, mold. You know, if you get those guys and you're immediately looking for a potential upgrade because you know you can do better. It's not, I don't think the risk uh, now is as, as big as it was a few years ago of, you know, we can do so much worse than this guy because I think that suddenly the league is actually plentiful of these kind of, you know, viable starting quarterbacks, but guys that aren't actually going to elevate the level of people around them. You go back to, you know, Alex Smith's contract with the Kansas City Chiefs. He got that $100 million deal. Alex Smith got a $100 million deal. And at the time, it was because if you don't have an Alex Smith, you could do so much worse. You know, there are so many of these terrible quarterbacks that you could really downgrade on Alex Smith, and you kind of needed to pay him that money. I don't think that's true anymore. Yeah, as soon as I heard Andy Dalton was getting the bench, I was just thinking it was a matter of when, not if. He was traded to Chicago. Couldn't have taken that much to pry him out of there, given his cap number, and you weren't going to get anything from him. And hell, trade A.J. Green while you can get something from him, too. But you talk about quarterbacks that have everything going well around them, but are they enough to lift a team to a championship? Jimmy Garoppolo seems to be in that category. He's number 14 in the PFF grades. And we're talking to Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus. Uh, is Jimmy Garoppolo a guy that can carry a team to a championship when some of those things break down? And what are his shortcomings? Right, I think that's the key, is that right now the situation in San Francisco is fantastic. It's one of the best quarterback environments you're going to find. The defense is cooking. The pass rush is there. The coverage on the back end looks great. The defensive system under Kyle Shanahan has always been excellent, but now you've got some star players in there as well. George Kittle is basically looking like the next Rob Gronkowski right now. Um, and they've got some other weapons as well, trading for a guy like Emmanuel Sanders. So Garoppolo hasn't had to do much. He's just had to be that quarterback to steer that ship. And so far, he's been able to do that. But we know there's more in the tank from Jimmy Garoppolo. We've seen it back in, in 2017, um, albeit under limited sort of circumstances, limited uh, sample sizes. But I think he, there's a better player there than we're seeing right now. At the moment, he's making too many unforced errors, too many turnover-worthy plays that he just he shouldn't be making. He's a, a you know, better quarterback than that. He knows those plays aren't there. And if he can eliminate some of those mistakes and, and maximize some of those big-time plays that he's capable of, I think there's more to come from this 49ers team, which is kind of frightening for their opposition, given how good their record is right now. 
I want to ask you, Sam, about Daniel Jones. You know, when he first took over for Eli, they won a couple games, a lot of excitement. Oh, he's good. And they still scored 26 points against the Lions last Sunday. But it feels like he's turning the ball over uh, at a pretty, pretty significant clip at this point. Is he regressing or is this just sort of the, uh, the natural state of a rookie quarterback? There's a lot of that to it. You know, he's a young quarterback. It's small sample sizes. We don't really know what Daniel Jones is going to be yet, but it looks an awful lot like Daniel Jones is going to be Eli Manning again. Um, and by that, I mean, if you, since he's been starting, he is tied for the league lead in turnover-worthy plays. He has put the ball in harm's way as much as Jameis Winston, who is also kind of an Eli Manning clone, um, but then if you look at the other side, he's fourth in big-time throws. So Jones makes a ton of big plays, but he also puts the ball in harm's way more than any other quarterback in the NFL. And you only need to watch him in any given game to see that. He's throwing the ball to defenders more than any quarterback you're going to see. So we're talking about this guy who I think is just going to be an incredibly volatile quarterback. And, you know, there's value to that. Those guys are actually an interesting sort of group subset of QBs who they're unlikely to be, you know, to, to eliminate all the bad plays. They're not going to become a Patrick Mahomes or an Aaron Rodgers, but they could do that for a period. You know, we've seen quarterbacks like that go on a run. We've seen Eli Manning do it a couple of times. We've seen Joe Flacco do it. We've seen, um, you know, other quarterbacks go on that kind of run where they're able to eliminate the negatives. You think of Carson Palmer back in 2015, Cam Newton the same year. Those highly volatile quarterbacks can go on a run where they eliminate all the negative plays and suddenly you just see all upside and you get the, the sort of peak of their potential for a period of time. And if they do that, now suddenly they're as good as those sort of Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes players, albeit for a limited period of time. But if you time that run right, you end up with a Super Bowl ring. And that's what Eli Manning was able to do. That's what Joe Flacco was able to do. So... You know, it's going to be fascinating to watch it unfold because I think he's going to end up being this incredibly volatile, high-variance, Jameis Winston, Eli Manning-style quarterback in New York. And, you know, it's impossible to separate Eli Manning's career from the two Super Bowl championships. But if you did and you asked people, was it successful, it would be interesting to know the answers. So, you know, if you get a Daniel Jones and he is literally an Eli Manning clone— but he isn't able to time that run for a Super Bowl championship. What will the feeling be from everybody in New York? Wow, those are interesting highs and lows to point out for Daniel Jones. Uh, the pro football focused top three graded quarterbacks, Russell Wilson, one, Dak Prescott, two, Carson Wentz, three. Check them out. It's just 10 bucks a month, 40 bucks a year. I have to ask you about number eight on the list and maybe the most intriguing this season, Lamar Jackson. Uh, what are you seeing on tape, and how might that match up with the New England Patriots this weekend who do so well when they can shut down one thing that their opponent does well? Yeah, every single game against Lamar Jackson is fascinating because that Ravens offense shows teams something different that they're not used to seeing. And as good as this Patriots defense has been, as good as this Patriots team has been, they really haven't played anybody. You know, they haven't really come up against a stern test. And even if they had, they wouldn't have faced somebody like Lamar Jackson. So obviously we know Bill Belichick is 
you know, a defensive mastermind, he's going to give them problems as well. But I think for the first time, it's going to be there's going to be some give and take there because Bill Belichick is going to cause Lamar Jackson some problems, particularly uh, when it comes to coverage through the air. But Lamar Jackson is going to cause Belichick problems as well because there's not another Lamar Jackson in the NFL. There's nobody else that gives him the kind of um, skill set that you have to contend with in terms of carrying the ball on the ground, designed runs, as well as scramble. So I think that's going to be a, a fascinating chess match. And this whole offense is built off Lamar Jackson's running ability because that's what opens up a lot of the passing uh, lanes for him. You know, you have to account for him in the run game as a design runner. You have to commit extra bodies to defending those perimeter areas of the field. And then suddenly there are guys out of position. Now there's a tight end streaking over the middle. And Lamar Jackson might not be the most accurate quarterback in the NFL, though he's definitely taken strides this season. But those guys are wide open because of the threat he has on the ground. And he doesn't need to be. So, yeah, it's a fascinating offense that gives you something unique to worry about. And it's going to be interesting to see how Bill Belichick decides to defend it. Sam, should we be concerned about Sam Darnold, your namesake, or is it just the product of the offensive line and the people around him? At what point should we start to get concerned about Sam Darnold? I mean, I think it can definitely be both. You know, that situation in New York is not good. Um, the offensive line isn't great. His skill position players are not great. They're, you know, they're, Robbie Anderson is a weapon. Le'Veon Bell obviously is a nice safety blanket, but you don't look at the group as a whole and say that, you know, overall they're helping the quarterback more than they're hindering him. Um, but I think it's fair to start asking the question, just how good is Sam Darnold based off all the evidence we have? And even his college career was very up and down, and there was a lot of projection in terms of, look, he's very young, he's shown incredible upside. If he keeps going, if he develops, he can be this great NFL quarterback. But you know, we're getting to the point where I think you need to start asking the question, just how good is he? Because there's there's definitely more bad tape um, from him in the NFL than there is good so far. Talking to Sam Monson, Pro Football Focus. Want to ask you about some defensive grades that really got my attention. Edge defenders. And we're used to, we're accustomed to a Watt topping that list. I was surprised to see T.J. Watt, the number one graded edge defender. How good is J.J.'s brother? I think he's becoming incredibly good. You know, the last this week against the Dolphins obviously propelled him all the way to the top. He's been highly graded all the way through the season. And it's interesting. Sometimes you see these edge rushers develop in the NFL, and they start off, they're already good. Um, they get a ton of pressure, and that's usually the first sign that this guy can be good going forward. Then they start, the sacks start to come. You know, when you get that amount of pressure, you typically inevitably start to finish those plays over the course of time. And then the thing that really kicks them into the next level is they start to make those game-changing plays. And it's the strip sacks, it's the forced fumbles, it's the scoop and score plays. We saw that kind of development with Khalil Mack. From day one, he was a really good player. But it took a little while for the sacks and the game-changing plays to really follow and him to become you know, one of the best edge defenders in the entire NFL and a true superstar. I think we're kind of seeing that with T.J. Watt. He was good right off the bat, but he's taking incremental steps forward every single season. And, you know, he's really been the answer to that Pittsburgh Steelers edge rusher problem. They've thrown draft picks at that spot 
for a number of years, and they keep swinging and missing, but it looks like they finally connected on one in T.J. Watt. All right, so the Bosa brothers are always fascinating as well. Joey Bosa, eight. Nick Bosa, nine. Who's better and why? <laughs> That's it. They are both incredible players. Um, Nick Bosa obviously has hit the ground running. I wouldn't want to separate them in terms of who's better. Yeah, we're still dealing with, you know, less than half a season of Nick Bosa's play. But so far, he's hit the ground running exactly the same way his brother did. And whatever, it looks like they're both incredible players and a huge boost to the, their respective defenses. Nick Bosa has transformed that 49ers by giving them a legitimate edge rush presence. And Joey Bosa has consistently now been one of the best players on that Chargers defense. Ross, you're going to chime in there? Are you all set, my friend? All right. That'll do it for us. Sam Monson, Pro Football Focus. Check him out. 10 bucks a month, $39.99 a year. Check him out on Twitter, PFF underscore Sam. Good to see you, my friend. Thanks, guys. Take it easy. All right, Ross, I want to get your take on the, the where we started, and that was the Cincinnati Bengals. I was shocked all day long once we heard Andy Dalton was benched how they don't move him to a team that is in desperate need of a quarterback could not have taken much to pry Andy Dalton out of Cincinnati. It just seems stunning to me that no one would try. Yeah, so that's the one weird thing about the trade deadline, and we can obviously talk a lot about that the rest of the show, but you don't really know. Like I, I, I wonder how interested a team like the Chicago Bears even was in Andy Dalton, how much time they put into it. You know, the Bengals are a tough team to do business with. They just aren't really logical. They don't really look at things the way most other teams do. There's legitimate concern that they're going to go back, and I think Jason Locke and Forrest said this on yesterday's show, they're going to go back to the dark ages, if you will, and be the bungles. Once again, no more stability of having Marvin Lewis there who brought a lot of success, if not playoff success, to Cincinnati. No more Andy Dalton who has really been able to right the ship there. He's under contract for another year at $17.5 million. And my guess is that maybe the Bengals feel like they can get more for him in the offseason. Clearly, that's what the Redskins thought about Trent Williams, although I think they really butchered that situation. And that might come to a head today because that's going to be interesting with Trent Williams and the physical and everything that goes on there. But it does seem like after Andy Dalton got benched, it does seem like, you know, at least Andy Dalton wanted to get traded and have a chance to play somewhere else. So let's talk about it. Other than Chicago, is there another place or another team that should have traded for Andy Dalton? And even if you're the Bears, is Andy Dalton that much better than Trubisky and Chase Daniel that you trade a pick and get a guy in there that doesn't know the offense? How many? When does he start playing for you? How successful is he? I think it's a really interesting situation. You know, football is not like some of the other sports, baseball, basketball, hockey, it is more complex than that. Now, you can do it, but especially at quarterback, that's probably the toughest position to just make that quick transition from one team to another.
Yeah, I guess you got to look at situations where the team is just about complete, where they have arguably the tools to make a run, maybe not to a Super Bowl championship, but at least to get into the playoffs. And the Chicago Bears seemingly fit the mold. No question about it. Andy Dalton is a much better quarterback than Mitch Trubisky. How quickly could he pick up that offense? I'm not entirely sure as to how long it would take to pick up Matt Nagy's system, but a far better quarterback than Mitch Trubisky and certainly better than Chase Daniel as well. And I just can't imagine it would have taken much to pry a guy away. The only thing that I can think of is, and I don't think it was this at all, that it was an Eli Manning situation where all we've heard out of Andy Dalt, uh, out of the, the New York Giants situation is that, you know, Eli Manning has no real interest at this point of his career of uprooting his family, of going somewhere else. Not entirely clear if anyone would want to pay him either. Is he a guy that dramatically improves your quarterback situation? I just, if you are headed nowhere, which clearly the Cincinnati Bengals bungles are, I mean, they are, they are neck and neck. They are fighting it out with the Miami Dolphins for that number one pick. Not sure who that number one pick is. And we're going to get into that later in the program, but uh, you know, Get A.J. Green out of here. I know he's a great guy and a good t uh, locker room guy and an extreme talent, but get something for him while you can. Get a future draft pick. And at the very least, get Andy Dalton's money off the books. I just don't think it makes sense. I, and in particular, I, I wanted to save my fire for Washington. We'll come back to Washington. That What they did yesterday is worse. I mean, Washington dysfunction is nothing new. But the Redskins' dysfunction is just amazing to me. Bruce Allen, Dan Snyder. Uh, at this point, it just feels like spite that they don't ship away Trent Williams, who's 31 years old, apparently wants a new contract and did report. But is he ever going to even suit up for the Washington Redskins? Get something for him and get it now. You know what? This is going to be really interesting, Dave, because, you know, right after he wasn't traded, okay, he shows up. You know, he, he right after the trade deadline, he wasn't traded. He shows up at Redskin Park, meets with the team. He's reported he'll, he'll get paid for this week, probably. Today, he has to take a physical. Once he passes that physical, then any physical ailment, any injury that happens after that, the Redskins are responsible for. So they could really take this spite thing to a whole other level by not passing him on the physical. So he's and maybe claiming some type of non-football injury. I, I don't know, but not paying him. Because it sounds like, based on multiple reports, that Trent Williams has no intention for, of actually playing. So it's almost like he reported, Dave, and it's going to be a, a Jalen Ramsey-esque situation. And Trent Williams is going to have a hold-in where he's got some type of injury. Oh, my neck, my back, my neck and my back, you know, whatever. Whatever the case may be. So I wonder if the Redskins try a preemptive strike and say, oh no, we're not letting you we're not letting you do that one. We're saying you failed the physical. I mean this is this is almost unprecedented in the NFL. Kind of what Jalen Ramsey did with the hold in 
And now Trent Williams, I think, is going to try the same thing. Uh, maybe he wants to practice once today, pull up, you know, hurt his back and practice first. I, I don't know. But I, I just feel like something weird is going to happen in the next 24 hours as it relates to the Redskins and Trent Williams. Yeah, the hold in, uh, to your point, the hold in, the way to go, if you can get some money out of this organization um, to finish up the conversation. And we didn't complete the circle on Cincinnati. It is Ryan Finley who will start for Cincinnati. It comes at an opportune time. They have the week off. He'll start against Baltimore. Not a great team to start with, but that defense, not what they once were. That's November 10th. He will take on Baltimore. Ryan Finley, not a guy a lot of people know much about. A fourth rounder out of NC State. Look, at this point, clearly this is not Andy Dalton's fault. The Bengals are 0-8, but his quarterback, total quarterback rating, 28th out of 33 qualifying quarterbacks, the total QBR is just 38.8, the lowest of his career. What do you think they have in Ryan Finley? Well, we don't know, other than he was pretty good in the preseason. And I will say this, Dave, I think this is the right move for the Bengals. Now, I also think they should have traded Andy Dalton, but they are arguably the worst team in the NFL. And so here we are. We're in a situation where they need to find out what they have in Ryan Finley. They used a decent draft pick on him. He looked good in the preseason. Find out what they have, because, Dave, they're going to end up having the first or second pick in the draft. Uh, and they've obviously moved on from Andy Dalton. So does that mean Tua Tungavailoa? Does that mean Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow? Who knows? But they got to first make sure they know what they have in Ryan Finley. So I'm actually on board with the Bengals benching Andy Dalton in favor of Finley. I probably would have tried to go ahead and get a draft pick for Dalton now because here's what's interesting. We both agree Andy Dalton's a, you know, solid starting quarterback. I wonder what teams are really going to be that interested in trading for him this offseason. Like, who's going to be that interested in Andy Dalton? Like, in other words... Yeah, he's a starting quarterback, but if you're the Dolphins, you don't want Andy Dalton. You want a draft pick. If you're the Bengals, you want a draft pick. So who is or who are the teams that are going to say, yep, Andy Dalton's our guy? It seems to me right now like the top quarterbacks in the trade market might be guys like Andy Dalton and Nick Foles, and that that might be where a team like the Chicago Bears goes in the offseason. Kind of a shame that they couldn't go there for the rest of this season. Just surprising. And Jordan Cohn with the great detail. Andy Dalton benched on his birthday. Man, that is cold. Can you at least wait a day if they're going to do it that day? It seemed to be a move to get ahead, a trade, ahead of the trade deadline. All right, we're going to get more into the trade deadline next hour. Quick trivia question, and I want to get into this with Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports. I referenced this with Sam Monson. They have a mock draft on pro football focus, and the talk all season has been tanking for Tua. What number do you think pro football focus has Tua being drafted in next year's draft? Just take a guess. Seven. 
They have Tua going number 10. So maybe this is a media-driven narrative. I want to ask Pete Thamel about that from Yahoo Sports. We'll also tell you who goes number one and number two, according to Pro Football Focus. Maybe we're making this up. There is a quarterback they have going number one. We'll take a quick break. We will come back in the 9 o'clock hour with Pete Thamel. We'll also continue the conversation about the NFL trade deadline, most notably the New York Jets and what they did or didn't do. What is the locker room atmosphere like right now for a team with one win? It's not getting any better. Also, the latest on the NCAA. What did Mark Emmert say? That sounds like some really great news for NCAA athletes. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.